शिला गुरुदेव की जय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय ग्रंथराज श्रीमद्भागवतन की जय गौर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रभानंद So good afternoon to all of you. Welcome to Nam. Thanks for coming. <clears throat> and today we are continuing with our series of lectures on Srimad Bhagavatam, which we have titled this section like Bhagavan's Prayers to His Devotees, which is a very important point. Not only, as, as we always say, love is a two-way, two-way is in English, two-way street. So it's not only about God giving to us, but also we also giving to Him, and vice versa. And sometimes we may overemphasize one way and not the other, more than the other, be one, be the other. So it's important to have the two tracks in place, if you will. So here in this case, the particular emphasis is Bhagavan's prayers to His devotees. Bhagavan's doing kirtan of His devotees, chanting the glories of His beloveds. Chanting the glories of Bhakti, basically the whole Bhagavad Purana is about that. It's about Sri Radha, and Sri Radha is the ultimate expression of Bhakti. So, Bhagavatam is all about Bhakti, and a particular type of Bhakti, because we find so many conceptions of what Bhakti is, as a means to something else, as a whatever. So here we are speaking about what Srila Rupa Goswami will call Uttam Bhakti. Like selfless, unimpeded type of devotion. <clears throat> so, uh, today is the fifth meeting, the penultimate, penultimate one so in this series, and we will be studying today verse 67 from this series of six verses. Uh, so all of you have already been in the previous lectures, but I will make some brief recap of yesterday, lect- yesterday's lecture and also in connection with the, all the verses very quickly. Mm-hmm. So just for you to re- recap and have that in mind. So in the very first verse, Bhagavan was saying to Durvasa, remember this is Bhagavan's reply to Durvasa Muni. Mm-hmm. Durvasa wanted to kill a devotee. <laughs> so Bhagavan, in a very gentle way, he's replying to him. <laughs> Was and, and now he wants protection after want to kill a devotee. So Bhagavan basically will say, "I love my devotees." There you have your answer. Figure it out. <laughs> I love those that you wanted to kill some minutes ago. So you have my answer there. Try to process that. So first verse he's saying, "I'm under the control of my devotees. I have not at all independence." And they keep me in the innermost chamber of their heart, and even the, my devotees or my devotees are beloved to me. The principle of parampara is also established there. Devotee of the devotee of the devotee. Then he says, I do not even find that much bliss in my own self, in my own opulences, without my devotees, without the chance of expressing love, having this possibility of loving interaction. I must the absolute, I'm not so absolute, if you will, without. Bhakti. And then he continues to say, My devotees, why are they so beloved to me? They have given up everything for my sake. 
attachment to everything, even for their, their own lives, basically. And so how can I, I mean, think even about not properly giving my own life to him, to them? And they're giving my life, so I, I just live but to sustain them, basically, to nourish. That's my life, basically. That's the business of Bhagavan, hmm? to live to probably honor the love of the devotees. If we speak about Paramatma, Brahman, some other business is there. <laughs> but regarding Bhagavan, and what to speak, our Bhagavan, if you will, Swayam Bhagavan, Braja Krishna, that's really the most condensed form of loving reciprocation. I mean, the devotees, the personification of love for Krishna, and Krishna is the personification of love for the devotee. That's important to understand. What's a devotee? The very, we always speak about that. No? Guru Mahārāj say, you want to find Krishna, the devotee is the very form of love for Krishna. Okay, but we can also add to that, and Krishna is the very form of love for the devotee. <laughs> you take that out, and you have no longer Krishna, you have something else, some other absolute, if you will. <laughs> so he lives for that, he's the very form. If you want to think how the divine fully reciprocates with the love that is, he sent to him, in the ultimate form, you have the Krishna conception there. I mean, that, that's the ultimate form of how God responds to love. Put your attention in Braj, and there you have the most perfect form of reciprocation. And between God towards the Buddha, of course the Buddha is towards the Divine. So, that was the third verse. Uh, yesterday, in our fourth verse, uh, Bhagavatam was saying, My inner Baddha Sadhava Samadarshanam Basikur Bhanti Mam Bhaktya Satsriyam Satpatim Yata. So there Bhagavan gave a, the analogy of the chaste wife and the virtuous husband to depict, further depict the nature of the entanglement, divine entanglement. He said, the devotees are in Nirvata, they are entangled. We are entangled with each other in each one's hearts, as we will see more clearly tomorrow in the last verse. Bhagavan will say, they are my heart, I am their heart, period. End of the discussion. Like, if you want to put all we have in speaking these days in one sutra, they are my heart, I am their heart. Try to, literally. <laughs> Not just some poetic idea, that's going on there. When you examine that, you will find that. So yesterday Bhagavan was saying that to Durvasa, that this Brahmabadi who appears, of course, in the Lila, in that particular form and creates so many... Uh, mischief, if you will, but in the context of unfolding different purposes in the Lila. So you can imagine, you know, someone like Durbasa just want to kill a devotee and now hearing this like totally incredible discourse from Bhagavan, the mouth of God himself, about how much he loved his devotees, control, and Durbasa like, oh, I just want to kill them. I just want to kill such per-. He's saying he's giving his life to them, he's controlled by them, and I just five minutes ago want to kill him. Oh my God. So Durbasa is like really learning the lesson and falling into the fire. But Bhagavan is not chastising him like directly. It's just in a very touching way, implying, I mean, I'm purchased by them. He's not saying you want to kill them. And he hopes Durbasa will realize that part. <laughs> and he did, as we all see tomorrow in, at the end of the story. So similarly, as the, as the chaste wife, by the force of her loving, selfless service to the virtuous husband, both parties have to be virtuous and chaste, <laughs> They are controlled. One controls the other. Similarly, Bhagavan was saying that I'm totally controlled by my devotees who are samadarshanam and 
at the same time totally attached to me on one side and seeing everyone equally. Interesting combination. So I'm fully under the control. So this Madhurya-like example, husband-wife, also is quite applicable to the ultimate implication of this section and these verses in the realm of Vrindavan, in the realm of Golok, in the realm of Madhurya, in the service of Sri Radha, offering herself from tip to toe for this sense enjoyment of Krishna. That's what's the meaning of Gopi is, basically. Gopi means she who protects the senses. Go means senses also, and P is the female of Pal, which is protector. So the Gopi Sirada especially protects Krishna's senses by surrendering herself for Krishna's sense satisfaction. Selfless sense satisfaction, just in case, let me say. <laughs> so Bhagavan is controlled, as we mentioned, also by, by this force, by the force of service, of surrender. And interestingly, his control by bhakti, which means he's controlled by his own intrinsic energy, which means he's not controlled by something outside of himself. He's not controlled by maya shakti, he's not controlled by some lower outer force, but, but his own inner nature, which is in his service, Swarup shakti. So Swarup shakti, interestingly, controls Krishna in service to Krishna. <laughs> something like that. Swarup shakti knows how Krishna likes so much to be controlled by love, so let him be controlled. And Krishna said, let me be controlled. Mm-hmm. And they are thrown into the realm of Lila. Mm-hmm. And this verse again was hammering on the idea of sadhu, sadhava, sadhu beer, honest people, mm-hmm. free from cheating. That's, and sometimes again, when we say what the sadhu is not, that may help us to further depict what's a sadhu. A sadhu is someone free from cheating. Sometimes it's more helpful for us saying that than saying, he's a pure person. <laughs> but what does pure mean? Free from cheating. Oh, that's, that's, that's a point. <laughs> no kaitava dharma in the context of... And, and for us, kaitava dharma, no cheating in the name of religion even. For Krishna Das Kaviraj, that's a high standard. Because for him, what's kaitava dharma? He says in Chaitanya Sritamrita, dharma, artha, kama, moksha. So the, the, the idea of the Bhagavad is of such depth, that it, and, and today we will see that, that the, even the concept of moksha, which sounds like the ultimate end, all for everything, is considered cheating. <laughs> Interesting. For most of all, the rest of the people, moksha is the ultimate goal of life. For Godis, that's another form of cheating. So you may say, What's going, why, why are you saying that? What's in between that? What, what do you have that such a thing that is so glorious suddenly appears in the form of some form of cheating? So today we will speak about that a little bit. And so on one side we spoke about how the devotees are samadarshanam, they are equal, compassion, universal compassion being a very important foundation for our bhakti. And on the other side, Bhagavan was saying, they are totally attached to me. And again, he's, here Bhagavan is speaking in Vaikuntha, but if we want to like to take the, you'll play out the ultimate application of this idea, totally attached to me, we are again thrown back into the land of Raj, where, where they are attached to Krishna, but as we mentioned yesterday, you know, without even having a relationship with him, officially. But the attachment defines the relationship, if you will. Mm-hmm. Balaram is attached to Krishna as a brother, so he's my brother. Even though, technically speaking, he's, Krishna is not Balaram's brother. Because Balaram's parents are Vasudeva and Rohini. 
But every one of us knows Balaram's well, he's Krishna's brother, for sure. <laughs> so that, that, that's the main point. No? The, the, the attachment is in the context of Krishna's family member. No? That's what Uddhava saw when he went to Vrindavan and wanted to, to somehow support, like, not support, no, what's the word? Like, give relief, comfort, the Brajabhas in separation. And they want to say, well, the, the family ties in this world are temporary and the soul is eternal, all this, like Brahma Gyan. But he realized, and, 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 but, they, but you are totally attached to your family member, but the family member is Krishna. <laughs> so it's not any family member, it's Krishna. So you are attached to Krishna as family member? So what's going on? No? So Uddhava started to make, to short circuit at that moment. That began. This section sometimes called Uddhava Sandesh, or the message of Uddhava, but we could call Uddhava short circuit. <laughs> <laughs> So he started to realize that, okay, I want to instruct them, you should be detached from family ties and attached to the Absolute. But he realized now, but the Absolute is the one you are attached to as a family member. So what's going on here? <laughs> so this we find in Braj. Hmm? So, some brief recap of what we were seeing yesterday for those of you who were not here, and especially for those who were here, but sometimes were not here as well. That may happen. No. <laughs> I don't know why Anandana is laughing so much. I know he laughs, likes to laugh. And it was a long journey yesterday, no problem. It's understandable. <laughs> so let's go to, to today's verse, the penultimate verse of the series, verse uh, 67, fourth chapter, ninth canto of the Bhagavatam. Machibaya pratitam te shalokyari chatushtaya kunechanti sivaya purna kunna kuttanyat kalavi plutam. So Bhagavan is speaking to Durvas, so Darshan Chakra is still blazing a little bit. <laughs> and he's saying, try to try to enter into the situation and to enter into the psychology of poor Durvas at this point. I mean he's like totally embarrassed. I mean he has realized he made a mess. <laughs> he's realizing, oh my god, the dimension of because you may made a mistake and you are on some level repented, repented. Mm-hmm. But when you really start to realize which was the the size, the breadth, the depth of what you did, it's like, okay, what to do now? And Bhagavan himself is telling me <laughs> indirectly, in a very gentle way, loving way, he's disclosing his heart to Durbas. And Durbas is having a very epiphany-like moment. So here he's saying, my devotees, who are always fully satisfied by their service to me, do not even desire the four types of liberation attained through such service. What then is to be said of other things that will only be lost with the passage of time? So, we were saying, moksha, kaitavadharma. So here is speaking why. So the verse is saying, Matsivaya pratitam te. Well, generally, the Sanskrit, as Rigupa was explained the other day, you have to begin explaining the last line. But we can explain that from the first one. They are not too long verses, so we can make some. So, Matsivaya pratitam te. So he's speaking about his devotees who are engaged in Matsivaya, Bhagavan says, in my seva, in my service. Pratitam, pratitam means automatically achieved. Te, te means like they, these devotees who are self-satisfied. So, they, by my service, achieve automatically what? 
second line salokyadi chatushtayam so salokya adi so salokya means living on the same place one of the four types of famous famously feasting muktis muktis type of mukti salokya which means to reside in the same planet of bhagavan and there are three more mm-hmm. which means no, no, you have to make the complete presentation. <laughs> to live like a close servant associate of Bhagavan, because you can be in the same planet but somewhere else. <laughs> so, Samipya, Tarupya, similar form, Sharsti, which means <laughs> half truth is worse than don't truth at all. <laughs> So, <laughs> the same so yeah, Sarasthi means to, to to have inherit, if you will, the same opulence of Bhagavan, who is quite opulent in Vaikantha. So these are the fourth, the four legal types of mukti, if you will, even though they are considered on some level cheating <laughs> for us in one sense. But you have also a fifth one mentioned in the Bhagavad, which is Sayuja, sometimes called Ekatuam, the Bhagavatam called Ekatuam. A Brahma Sayucha, which is the illegal one for us, which is merging into the indeterminate absolute, if you will. Illegal in the sense that it's not really, it doesn't go hand by hand with the ultimate idea of loving interaction because there won't be a possibility of, there won't be anyone there, basically, as what Guru Maharaj will say. There's nobody there. When someone says, we fell from Brahma, he will say, who will fall from where? <laughs> There's nobody there. There's no sense of space and individuality and so on. So that's a really like non-desired type of emancipation for us Gaudias, basically. Because for us, the goal is love, and love requires two to begin with. So if there is no sense of anyone there, there is no love, basically. That's why... In the scripture, we will never find that Brahman is full of love, he's charming, he's beautiful, because there's no sense of all the things in the indeterminate level, if you will. It has more to do with the aspect of Sat, which is, again, it's a, it's a viable, eternal even um, goal. I mean, you can go to Brahman and stay there forever, but... Again, we have to understand also the subjectivity of why our church says that's cheating. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to go to the street and start, and start to defame everyone and insult them. You are a cheater, you want to go there. <laughs> no? It's just from the ecstatic subjectivity that they are so much in love with Krishna that if something goes against that and, and invites you to stay forever without that love, they will say, oh, that's, that's cheating. But we, you should know how to translate that in, in, in the moment of inter-religious dialogue, if you will. <laughs> so, Matsivaya Pratitam Te Salo Kyadi Chatushtayam. So, Chatushtayam, Chatu means four. So, Chatushtayam is the four types of liberation. This is Salo Kyadi. So, Adi means, like, and so on, etc. Nechanti Sivaya Purna. So, Necha Anti. Na Ichanti. Icha means desire. So, Na means no, 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 icha, no desire, sivaya, purna. They do not desire these four types of liberation. What to speak of the fifth, that's the idea. Sivaya, purna, because purna means 
complete. And Sevaya means through service, by service. So by by contact with bhakti, they become some purna, so full that they do not even hanker for emancipation, which is again, as as well, is extraordinary in itself. I mean, it's not from this world. Mukti is something which is not from this, that, that's already extraordinary. As, as I always say to the body, we may say, "Oh, that's cheating." But if Mukti appears to your, in front of you offering her service, I can give you relief from the influence of the gunas forever. Let's see if we say, yes, cheating, cheating. <laughs> Let me try the cheating a little bit. <laughs> Maybe eternally. <laughs> because again, it's a, a, a tempting, tempting prospect. I mean, to be relieved from all anxiety for eternity? It's like, oh my God. For those who... Like like Brigupal was quoting yesterday, or he was quoting someone, I think, I think Bhaktivyam Goswami, that someone in the Middle East, that they were speaking about different ideals, and this person in the Middle East said, for us our goal is peace. And we should greet each other saying Shalom, because Shalom means peace, and peace is the ultimate thing. So the devotee would say, well, if you live in the Middle East, it's okay that for you that's the <laughs> ultimate goal. <laughs> You need peace. Um, you may need peace forever. Huh? You acquire some scar for eternal peace. But we can also speak, make a case for peace, as Gurmaras will say, and love. So we, we perform mainly that mudra in our tradition. We have some other mudras, but this is a good one. <laughs> doesn't seem too, too complex, too ritualistic. But if someone asks, you have a, the full incident here. In Brindavan, they do this one. They do none of these complex mudras in Brindavan. <laughs> so Nachanti Sivayapurna so he says they are so full because of Seva that they don't hanker after these other muktis and the last line Kutunyat Kalabi Plutam so if they are not even after mukti which is a transcendence of the temporary Kuta means what's, what's the question or what to speak of Anyat Kalabi Plutam Anyat means like other things Kalabi Plutam Kala means Time. 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 But you can imagine what I said already. Like something finished by time. Mm. So what to speak of those things that are finished by time? Mukti is not finished by time. And they are not interested in that. So what to speak of everything that is below that? That's the point. Dharma, Takama, forget it. I mean, they are not interested in Mukti. What to speak of everything below that? So, of course, again, here Bhagavan is speaking about his devotees in capital letter from D to S. Devotees and that are really immersed, drenched in bhakti. So, <clears throat> let's try to elaborate a little bit on this, on this verse. <clears throat> to begin with, Srila Jiva Goswami, in his Paramatma Sandarbha, Anucheda 93, which is we, we we have been sharing some section from there to now. No problem. Some soundtrack, background music. So he says on one side this section is showing us that Bhagavan is not ungrateful, implying he's properly reciprocating with the desire of each devotee. So the point is that this type of devotees do not desire mukti, he will reciprocate accordingly. But also he says the state of the devotees when this potency enters into them in the form of bhakti is described in this verse. In other words, 
what happens when bhakti enters in, and he makes it clear this potency enters into them in the form of bhakti in other words bhakti is not inherent it's not inherent <laughs> if you want to make that case you have to argue with Srila Jiva Goswami I don't want to argue with Srila Jiva Goswami <laughs> he himself argues with himself and presents so many arguments and, and then, if you want to argue with himself with him you have first to, to hear his own arguments to himself how he defeats himself and after that you say I don't want to argue with him <laughs> thank you very much I would have never thought about the arguments he will present, the what to speak of the replies to those arguments. So he himself is saying here, bhakti is entering into the heart. It's not something that is there, sleeping, and becomes activated at one particular moment, and we have already that in mean, so many ways of proving that point. <clears throat> so what happens, he's saying that what happens was the state of the devotees who receive bhakti, they won't be interested even in mukti. Which again is a very interesting point because it goes beyond liberation. Our Guru Maharaj will say our tradition is specialized in post-liberated life. So for some people will may say, let me speak about liberation first. Now you are telling me our specialization is post-liberated life. But what about liberated life to begin with? Of course it's all included in the in the equation. But sometimes we may, we may need to, to compare the things because, again, if you speak too much about, I don't know, the post-liberated status of Raj, it may seem too similar to our daily life and we may not really grasp the extraordinariness of that, that we need to perceive as sadhagas in order to really differentiate between our experience and that and what's in between that. So, Sila... Sila... Um, Rupa Goswami mentions when in sadhana bhakti, in the very beginning stage of bhakti, you realize kleshagni subhada. You will be free from certain miseries and receive a certain level of auspiciousness that will take you to realize goal, material goals, even moksha itself, is inferior in comparison to bhakti. Then, when you achieve at a stage like bhava bhakti, it takes the form of sudur lava moksha laguta grit. Moksha laguta grit means Bhava Bhakti means, makes moksha seem, how do you say, like insignificant. And Prem Bhakti, you, you no longer see the, the idea of moksha, it totally disappears. It's like when you are riding on a plane and the plane is just, just like starting to leave, and you see in the window and everything seems a little smaller than when you are in front of the building or whatever. So, smaller. When it goes very, very, very higher, it's like almost like all the buildings and it's like you see the whole map there. <laughs> and when it goes above the clouds, stop existing. You cannot see them any longer. So above the clouds is like post-liberated life. Clouds is like heaven, liberation. <laughs> above the clouds. Go to Vaishnavism is above the clouds. <laughs> So above the clouds you only see, I mean, there's nothing. There's only that reality. But of course, this is subjective experience. Although things remain existing below, but that person is totally in another reality. <clears throat> so, moksha lagutakrit means moksha is insignificant. And moksha, again, we are not insulting moksha. It's, just, it's basically trying to make some emphasis that is not all. 
the, the, the ultimate potential of the, the soul goes beyond stop suffering, which is something incredible in itself, stop suffering. We suffer so much. The main thing we want to, to sort out is how to stop suffering, of course. And that's a, a good point. And Krishna himself speaking about that in the Gita. But once you stop suffering, you have to do something else. I mean, when you are having, I, I've seen that. People are suffering, they pray to God, they develop humility, they became sensitive. <laughs> God replies the prayer, that's all. Now I'm okay, I'm happy, everything is nice, and I'm, I don't know what to do now, I start doing some extra nonsense. So I need, and I, I, I start to suffer again, so I, I, need, I, some, I have something to pray for. <laughs> something like when everything is too okay, we don't know what to do with our life. <laughs> we are not expert in, as, 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 as to live happily, as to know what to do with peace and happiness. We need to make mess again. So there is some action, some news, some movement, something to pray for, and some excuse to approach Krishna. <laughs> but that's not the idea for us. For, the, for, the, for us, the idea is you obtain peace... And then the real thing starts, actually. Then we are starting to, to, to lay the foundation on which post-liberated life is coming. Krishna says in the Gita, you, as we say yesterday, you cannot speak about happiness without peace. Okay, peace, peace has its place. Control your mind. But again, for us, the goal is not control your mind. The goal is awaken your heart. There are two different things. One thing is control your mind. Stop the beast, if you will. <laughs> Stop being an animal, basically. Try to control your urges. Rupa Goswami says that. Control your tongue. Control your genital organ. It may sound gross, but I mean, we have to mean somewhere. <laughs> he cannot just go to this 11th verse of Upadashambrita. Sri Radha Kund is the topmost place. I mean, control your tongue first. <laughs> Stop being a beast, with all respect. Because if not, you want to jump into the Radha Kunda, you will drown there. <laughs> If you are not self-controlled, what, what, what advantage, advantage you will take from just bathing in Radhakund, if you will? Like someone once said to Silas Siddhar Maharaj, oh, I found a quote that says that you can bathe in Radhakund, because Silas Maharaj was of this idea, I won't bathe into Radhakund, that's too sacred. I will take some few drops, put it in my head, that's all. And someone said, here's the quote, it says, you, you should have a bath in Radhakund. So Silas Maharaj said, and, and where does it say that you should do that with your body? So the body was like, <laughs> that's all. Why we understand everything in bodily terms? No, that's the point. That, that's our problem, external terms. Yes, yes, you should bathe deeply and fully in Pradakunda, but what does it mean? Deeply and profoundly and fully. With the body, you cannot do that. So, so that's an important point, to know what we do with our peace, if you will. <laughs> Because we pray for God for peace. I mean, Krishna says in the Gita, The first type of people that approach me is the afflicted one. He says. Others want money. Others want knowledge. Others are wise. But the most of them, a good, good number of them, are suffering. And they want me to stop their suffering. And it's okay. I mean, he says, I accept that. He's not saying they're totally weird and I kick them out and I don't want them to. I receive them. Although that's not the ultimate thing I can offer to them. Again, we have to begin somewhere. But the point is, okay, they are suffering. I relieve their suffering. They are in peace. So now, what? They are in Sat Bhagun, let's say. Let's speak in terms of 
gunas, sattva. There are cheap sattva. What to do with sattva? When the scriptures are clear, sattva is the platform for jumping, making the quantum leap into transcendence. Sattva is not a permanent situation. If you reach sattva and, and you kind of don't know what to do with sattva, for sure you will become rajasic, tamasic very quickly. And you will like, or you get attached to remain in sattva forever. Attachment means rajas, no longer sattva. So you're already somewhere else. So the equilibrium is broken. So sattva is there as a as if you go to the airport. Sattva is like the airport. You get to the airport. But then you have to take a plane <laughs> somewhere. So sattva is there, like the, the, how do you say, the flying platform. You have a right to the airport, that's great, but you have to take the plane. Where? Which destination? It's not, I will, that's so nice here at the airport, I think I will live here forever. I will bring a tent and construct some house in the airport. No way, it's not possible. <laughs> You will stay for some days and try not the police to realize that you are there, but at some point they will say, Mister, which is your ticket? Uh, it's not your house. You cannot live here forever. So, so here, Bhagavan is saying, my devotees are not interested in, in, in any, any flight, but a very specific destiny in this case. Because we are speaking about mukti, it's some type of flight into transcendence. Salokya, Samipya, Sarsti, Sarupya, Sayuja. But they are not interested in Mukti. And this is very important. Again, we have to really, we may not have been born in, in, into a, in the Vedic culture in India in the times that these types of messages were shared. But you have to really understand. Be careful. Right. Almost he attains Mukti. <laughs> <laughs> Some form of it. So, the point is, I mean, Mukti is the goal for, for, most, for most schools of thought, for most Sampradayas, even Vaishnav Sampradayas, Sri Sampradaya, Madhva Sampradaya, they will speak in terms of Mukti, even devotional Mukti. But their goal is to obtain Mukti, to be free from the cycle of birth and death and attain eternality. So that's a really... I mean, the Purusharthas, classically speaking, Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. Purushartha means the goals of life. Yes, you have to be a good citizen. You will have a proper result of that in terms of assets and income. And you can enjoy your senses in a dharmic way. I mean, there is place for sense enjoyment. It's not just something that you have senses, you have to do something with that. And not everyone will be just drenching their senses in bhakti. <laughs> so Dharma is there to tame the beast, if you will. <laughs> but all of that will converge in moksha, classically, vedically speaking. Mm-hmm. Dharma means I behave nicely, so I have a nice fruit of that, nice result. And from that, I enjoy nicely. So dharma takes to artha, artha takes to kama, and kama takes to moksha in the sense of frustration. After considerable calm, you realize, Oh, this is not going anywhere. <laughs> so moksha. I want to get free from that. But again, these are the two tracks, as Guru Maharaj will say, in which our material life is going. Bhogan tiyar. Bhogan tiyar. No? Enjoyment. Reject, rejection. Uh, as he will say, someone is dying for getting a new house and that the owner of that house is dying for selling the house. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
One was to take that, one was to give it up. So, uh, uh, and next you will be the next wanted to reject that. I mean, so it happens. It's, it's like this. No? It's like this because there's the nature of material objects, and that's our nature as non-material objects. I mean, we we may get something new, and we get excited. Oh, I have this new table, this new harmonium, this new carpet, this new studio. This is transcendental for other activities. <laughs> But the point is, anything new is like, oh, such a new, nice glass. Look at these flowers. <laughs> like some Japanese just design, what, whatever. But after two, three days, I mean, it's a glass. <laughs> and after some years, so this is already old, this is, the painting is out, I will have to get something new. Who wants this? <laughs> so, this is a healthy example. There are more delicate things, you can see. But the point is that all these purusharthas, all these goals of life converge in moksha, converge in mukti. That's the end point for most followers of Vedic tradition. They engage in yoga, even they may engage in bhakti for that, yoga, misra, bhakti. You find that in the 8th chapter of the Gita. People embracing bhakti for the sake of mukti, basically. But in the Bhagavad, again, this is considered cheating. <laughs> cheating, you can imagine. To be free from exploitation, that's something so noble, so heroic in this world, something who is not taking, not exploiting, not selfish. You have to go through that to attain moksha. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a superhero in this world. Sense control, noble, compa- universal compassion. Bhagavata says, still cheating. To say, what you are speaking about? What was the ideal you are presenting? So that's the fifth goal. The Bhagavad has its fifth goal. Panchama Purusharta. We have the four Purusharthas. This is the pancha. There's a pancha. There's a fifth one. Prem. Prem Purusharta. Prayojana. And the Bhagavatam says that. The Gita hints at that also. Muktanama, Pishidanam, Narayana, Parayana. Sudur Lava Prasantat Makotis Vapi Mahamune. There are many liberated personalities and between those very difficult to find one totally surrendered devotee of Bhagavan. Very, very rare to find. So that's that's the point. There are many liberated people. Krishna says similar in the Gita. Manushanam Sastra From unlimited number of people, maybe one wants to get rid from entanglement of matter. From that many few, if you will, comparatively, who attain that, maybe one goes beyond mere liberation, becomes my devotee. So he, were, he uses this word, sudurlava, very rare. And everyone can take that, but still it's very rare. So yes, in the Gaudiya school especially, Gaudiya Vedanta, Bhagavad, Dharma, the idea of mukti is not... Even, the, again, the theistic mukti, devotional mukti in Vaikuntha. Here, remember, here is, who is speaking here? Vaikuntha Nath, the Lord of Vaikuntha. So it's interesting because he's saying, my devotees do not care for Salokas, Amipya, Sarsti, Sarupya. But he's in a place where most of the people is about that. <laughs> Many of the ones who arrived there were because they were after that. So my point is, he's saying that... Somehow or other, he's pointing somewhere else. He's not limiting his discourse to what's going on in Vaikuntha. He's trying to, again, take our attention to what's 
coming next in the Bhagavad. Vrajalila, they really don't care about mukti whatsoever. Now we in our sadhana, as sadhakas, we are to somehow or other take that same stance as, as the Brajavasis, not imitating them, but understanding I don't care about liberation. That's what Krishna says to Arjuna in the Gita in the eighth chapter. He's saying many great yogis struggle to, to, to be liberated and to die in a particular moment so they can get freed from this world. But my devotees basically they just surrender to me and whenever death comes they are serving me. Death will find them serving me. So they will attain their desired goal by just absorbing me at every moment. So, as our Guru Maharaj said, when someone asked him, so when will I attain liberation? So you, you know the reply he said. Mm-hmm. What did he say? When you stop asking. So basically that's the whole idea. <laughs> when the, the day comes that you are no longer concerned about that, you are beyond that. That's no longer a concern for you. As you are already not asking certain things because they are already there. I mean, it's included in the equation, basically. That's the point. If you understand bhakti is post-liberated, the word liberated is included in post-liberated. So I don't care about the, the liberated. I, I care about the post, if you will. <laughs> what's, what's beyond that? What are the possibilities of post-liberated life? Mm-hmm. So... <clears throat> so again, here Bhagavan is pointing to Braj <laughs> indirectly. Like Mahaprabhu said, he also said the same thing. I don't care for Dharma, Artikama, Moksha, I don't care for followers, wealth, sense, enjoyment, and poetry or knowledge which takes to liberation. He says, Mama Janmani Janmani Shware Bhavatat Bhakti Gita. I only care for serving Bhagavan even if I have to take birth here over and over again. I, we are, I've heard devotees saying, even great sadhus, a devotee will be willing to come to this world over and over again because for them, the coming to this world will allow them to enrich and sweeten their sadhana and their practice and I mean there's a total different they are not coming to this world I mean if someone thinking like that they are not fearful about coming to this world again they are welcoming that if that's favorable for their service that's the point many great would say if coming to this world will intensify the quality of my service I mean that's not coming to this world that's the conclusion <laughs> if I come in here my service condition is enhanced. I mean, I'm not coming to this this world. What's this world? I mean, everything is a state of consciousness, basically. As we always quote, like when Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta said, first instruction my Guru Maharaj gave me is never go to Calcutta. And first thing he did was <laughs> go into Calcutta. So someone asked him, but, I mean, it seems that you are not getting what does it mean to be a disciple. Your Guru gave you only mainly one instruction and that's the first thing you disobeyed. So you say, no, no, I never went to Calcutta. <laughs> so you say, what are you saying? You established a marble temple, giant thing, there you are living, there's your headquarters. <laughs> you say, no, no, I always remain at the lotus feet of my Guru Maharaj. I never went touch, touch Calcutta. Mm. So Calcutta is a state of consciousness, basically. <laughs> North Carolina is a state of consciousness. Manamora Brindavan, Brindavan is a state of consciousness. So, 
So that's the point. So in Brindavan we find this. They, are, they do not care about liberation. As, as the scripture describes, in Brindavan every tree is a kalpa briksha. You can ask the tree whatever you like. Well, what would you like to ask a tree in Brindavan? You have to confess. Anandana. <laughs> what would you like to ask? Many things. Okay. <laughs> so the cows are Kamadenu. You can ask many things. You can milk from the others. And instead of milk, you can milk sapphires and diamonds <laughs> and whatever. Uh, Lamborghinis. <laughs> Skycrapers. Pretty powerful cows. <laughs> The land is Chintamani, it means like sometimes I would call the philosopher's stone or touchstone. That whatever it touches, it makes it like super valuable jewel. The, the, the earth, I mean, you may be just collecting the earth, thinking, oh, with this. <laughs> but the most interesting thing, as I would go myself, is the people living there are not asking anything. <laughs> they could. The possibility is there. It's not that they are living in a poor village. It seems a small place, not so opulent like Vaikuntha, but the scripture says Vrindavan is more opulent than Vaikuntha. But all the Aishwarya in Vrindavan is totally, how do you say, like buried, as we say the other day, under layers and layers and layers of something else love, intimacy, selfless service. So it's right to imagine, you have in your house this like potential of asking your house, like this is a story of Sanatana Goswami also, he, he received one Chintamani stone once, and a, a thief heard about that, maybe you heard the story. Mm-hmm. I will tell it anyhow, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the thief went, and he was like looking for the Bhajan Kutir of Sanatana Goswami, it was not a skycraper, so he was absorbing Srinamdar. And the thief say. He made a whole show, you not know, like coming to beg mercy from Sanatana Goswami, but his idea of mercy was quite different. So, <laughs> so he said, well, how are you, Baba? Nice to meet you. You know, I heard here and there that you had something called like Chintamani or something. It would be possible to, to see it. He said, yeah, it's there thrown in the compost, in the backside of the <laughs> So he went and he found a full, full pile of compost made of diamond. <laughs> Because the Chintamani was there. So he took the Chintamani and said, Oh, maybe he threw it because it's not working or whatever. So he tried to test. I know everything was making, becoming like, how do you say, precious stone or whatever. So he left. He said, Well, with this, I, I can't retire. I mean, I don't have to work anymore and just, this is my business. <laughs> but immediately, you know, he was blessed just by seeing in the beginning of He thought, But why he throw this to the compost? I mean, I mean this, this is so valuable, he considers it rubbish. rubbish. Mm-hmm. So he must have something more valuable. His thief psychology took him, that <laughs> there must be something more. Huh? Greed. <laughs> and there was something more. There was some, another, another Chintamani. Nam Chintamani Sri Krishna Chaitanya Rasa So eventually he came, he asked for Sanat, this is Chintamani, but you threw the Chintamani. I said, yeah, I have another Chintamani. More valuable than that. Oh yeah, can you give me that Chintamani? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Come closer. <laughs> give me your right ear for a minute. I say, what? You will put a stone in my ear or whatever? <laughs> no, no, no. 
he gave Harinama. The, the thief became himself a precious stone, basically, oh. <laughs> by entering with the Chintamani of Srinam. So that's, that's the point. That's how, that's why a devotee is not preoccupied with mukti. Because there are, and that will happen to us as sadhakas, when will not, when will, when will we stop asking, when will I get liberation? Well, when we are too preoccupied with bhakti. Basically, that will be correspondingly, there will be no preoccupation with mukti. Still, we may be, we may be preoccupied. We may not be thinking, I want salokya samipya. Our mukti is, I want to stop suffering. That's mukti, because mukti means liberation. Liberation from what? I mean, liberation implies negativity. Getting free from something negative. That means liberation, redemption. I've been freed from jail. But as Again, the analogy goes, you've been living in jail for your whole life, suddenly you are out of jail, great. But, I mean, going out of jail was not the goal. The goal is, what do I do now with my life outside of jail? <laughs> if I don't know what to do, I may, again, commit the same nonsense, I go back to jail again. <laughs> Many people does that, <laughs> for different reasons. But the point is, again, if we don't know what to do with our peace, <laughs> we will go back to jail <laughs> again following the previous analogy. So, we will stop wondering about stop suffering and peace and getting and mukti when we are really too preoccupied with bhakti. It's consuming all our capacity of preoccupation, if you will, and engagement. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so again, Vaikuntanath by, by here, Narayan is speaking in Vaikuntha about those devotees who are beyond Perks, you say in English, the perks of Vaikuntha. So to say that many of these muktis are like the perks of Vaikuntha. Many people, Jiva Goswami says in Priti Sandarbha, are even not do not have prem and they can achieve Vaikuntha with some level of bhava. But only with certain types of mukti there, like Sarupya, Sarsti, and Salokya. I want a form similar to Narayan. I want Wealth like Narayan. I won't. I mean, of course, this is not in a selfish, exploitive sense, but there is some sense of I want <laughs> to live in the plant of Narayan. But all of those ideas do not necessarily have to do so much with I want to render love in service to Narayan. Mainly that has to do with Samipya Mukti. To be a close associate. If you are a close associate of Narayan, it's not just to be there like, hey Narayan, how are you? No, but to really render service like this. Venkateshwar Sevakas we were doing the other day. <laughs> See, Venkateshwar Kijai. <laughs> so, but generally, many are attracted by the Vaikuntha perks, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Nestra, there's no necessarily Prem. So, here, Vaikuntha Nad, Narayan is contrasting that speaking. My devotees do not care about all these things. So, somehow or other, Krishna is like finding his place to speak through Narayan and point to, to Vrindavan, to to the Vaikuntha beyond Vaikuntha, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the Bhagavatam itself, the whole discourse of the Bhagavatam is in that structure in that way, because in the Bhagavatam you find ten main topics. I, will, I won't bore you with all of them, but there are nine which are called Asrita, and there is one called Asraya. So one means, Asraya means the shelter, and nine, Asrita means the sheltered. Sheltered? So there are nine taught to us, or re- realities 
that are sheltered by the one shelter, which is the last topic, which is, as Prabhupada will call the Saman Bonum, which means Bhagavan Sri Krishna. And the ninth topic, the ninth, the first nine topic, the ninth topic is Mukti. <laughs> so Mukti is sheltered in Bhagavan, basically. No? In another word, no? the ultimate goal of the Bhagavatam, the shelter that the Bhagavatam presents to us is Bhagavan and not Mukti in itself, like the ultimate goal. So, this was an introduction. <laughs> Let's go to the commenter, commentators on, on this, what they, they say on this verse. <clears throat> so, Srila Prabhupada comments one part of his commentary. He's quoting a famous section of verse by Bilba Mangala Thakur, great Vaishnava who wrote very nice books. One of them, the most well-known, is called Krishna Karnamrita, which Mahaprabhu loved a lot. That was a book that he brought from South India, along with Brahma Samhita. So Brahma Samhita was the Tattva book, and Krishna Karnamrita was the Baba book. He brought the two of them with him, and his last years in the Gambira, he used to hear Mahaprabhu five authors, and one of them was Bilba Mangala, and that meant... Krishna Karnamrita. So that's a very nice book. So Bilba Mangala Thakur here, Prabhupada says, Bilba Mangala realized that if one develops his natural devotional service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Mukti stands before him or her with folded hands to offer all kinds of service. In other words, Prabhupada says, the devotee is already liberated. That's the point. Mukti is in your service. That only happens when you are in service of that which is above Mukti. Only then Mukti will offer you her service. And you won't care. <laughs> As it says here. There is no need for, his, for him, for the devotee, to aspire for different types of liberation. So that's very interesting. I mean, the devotee doesn't need to aspire for liberation because he or she already is liberated. But on top of that, he doesn't care for that. <laughs> So that generally happens. When you stop caring for something, that starts to run after you. <laughs> Before maybe, I don't know, meeting the devotees, you were, I don't know, trying to, running after something. I want this, I want that. I want this type of goal and enjoyment of fame and money. And, and then you get to know this philosophy and realize, well, all that was not the real thing. So you say, I will get detached from that. And all the things start to come, to, <laughs> to offer service. But you have to understand why they are coming and in which context and what you should do with that. Not to say, oh, nice, they are just coming, my service. It's not in your service, actually. It's coming in your service because you are in the service of, of Bhagavan. As long as you get out of the service of Bhagavan, those things <laughs> will disappear. <laughs> and you will run after them, you won't be able to fully catch them. So that's how it works. I mean, that's interesting. Of course, you should be careful of not getting entangled with that. No? That, may, that may be one. Anartha, Bhakti Uttanartha. Mm -hmm. That is defined by Vishwanath. That you can, for example, you begin Bhakti and you may not have fame, for example. You may not have knowledge. You may not have followers. But you may have, I don't know, greed, certain type of greed, lust, whatever. And maybe through the practice, 
you get re- you get free from that last that greed but also you get knowledge followers and fame that you didn't have before <laughs> and you get entangled with them you follow so before that the back you didn't have the problem of fame knowledge and followers because you didn't have either of them <laughs> but you had other problems so now you solve those problems but you have new problems I mean, there shouldn't be problems. If fame followers come, you should put them in the service of Bhagavan. But if you do not do that, they become a new type of an artha, coming from bhakti. Not because bhakti is giving the artha, but bhakti is creating some, some byproducts. And if you don't know how to deal with them, they become an artha. So we should be careful with that. So again, the point is here. Mukti comes with folded hands for the, before the devotee. To Prabhupada say the pure devotee, of course, again, the pure devotee, here we are not speaking about anyone, everyone. The pure devotee automatically achieves liberation even without desiring it. He's a post-liberated status. The famous example in the Bhagavatam is when the Brajavasis are with Krishna and they want to see what will happen to us in the next life. <laughs> so the idea here is, the point is this. Now most people would like to know Maybe in the heavenly planets, with some Gandharvas maybe there, hopefully, Apsaras, and some enjoying heavenly delights, or Mukti, free from all the suffering. But that was not the expectation of the Rajavasis. They wanted just to see what they saw, what Krishna saw, showed them. He, sh- he showed them what? The very exact same situation where they were at that moment. <laughs> Isn't it like if I show you, okay, you want to see your future life, and I show you like a portal? I, and it's like if I put a mirror now in front of you and you see yourself here sitting hearing Harikata chanting <laughs> and hopefully you're happy with that <laughs> no? I'm happy, happy. be careful <laughs> <laughs> at least in theory we should be happy <laughs> we're with all the same people <laughs> Yeah, a little younger maybe. Uh, <laughs> some adjustments maybe there, no problem. But <laughs> more hair, a little bit. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> but the rest will be the same. And the, the brush buses were like, great, this is great. We will continue being here in the village. My family, the cows, Krishna for sure. Everything. Remain okay, no problems. They were not like thinking about, but what about the beyond or something? I mean, this is it. So, the point is, if you see that portal and you realize, oh, the portal is a mirror in one sense, because the idea, as we mentioned the other day, I'm already doing what I project to do in eternity. That's, that means bhakti is a post liberated status, means I'm, what I'm doing now, I expect I may be continue doing that forever. It's not that I'm doing that now something, so someday I stop doing that and I really start doing what I like. <laughs> the idea is, what I'm doing now, I like that so much that I want to do this forever. I mean, we may go through some struggles, but the struggles are not because we don't like what we are doing, but because there is something else in the way. <laughs> but at least we should understand what I'm doing now, Shravan, Kirtan, Sadhu, Sangana, whatever you know what the practices are about. That's my prospect in eternity. So, bhaktiasam yata ya bhaktiya. Bhakti comes from bhakti, and bhakti creates further bhakti. 
It's not the bhakti takes to mukti. That means mukti is higher than bhakti. But for us, we not we need bhakti to attain mukti. If you want mukti, you need bhakti for that. That's the whole point. If you want bhakti, you won't care about mukti. <laughs> so that's a very important idea. We are already doing what we will be doing in eternity. So hopefully you are happy doing that. <laughs> because if not, you are projecting yourself to, to hell forever. I mean, that's not the idea. <laughs> I mean, if you are not conducting your sadhana with, with joy, it's like, you know, I, why are you doing that in the first place? You may be, again, having some struggle, but that shouldn't be because I don't like what I'm doing. <laughs> because something else is getting in the way of what I'm doing and I like. Gradually, that will be cleansed. So, so that was happened to the Brajabhasis. Krishna said, this is your next life. And he's, they saw themselves burned down with Krishna and say, incredible. <laughs> incredible. That's our desire. So, jam jam bapish maram baram Whatever you desire in this life, you will go there in the next one, basically. So they were not interested in mukti. They were... Mukti means liberation, and they were liberated from liberation, if you will. <laughs> That's real mukti. If you want to take mukti a step further, real mukti is bhakti. Once bhakti not Thakur say that. Conceiving mukti as bhakti, say, those who make a difference between liberation and devotional service do not understand what's liberation and do not understand what's devotional service. Like implying bhakti is the real, ultimate mukti. Mukti above Mukti. Mukti beyond Mukti. And this happened with Mahaprabhu and, and Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya also. You remember with Sarvabhoma, the great logician was transformed by Mahaprabhu. And, and he went through different uh, tests, if you will, of, of his conversion. So in the beginning, Sarvabhoma was transformed. And Mahaprabhu went one morning and, and brought him Jagannath Prasad. Like at five in the morning. <laughs> So generally, Sarvabhama will say, first I have to perform all my morning duties and all this before accepting Prasad. More in the context of Barna Ashram, Karma Mark, first I have to do this before eating. But in the Bhakti conception is Jagannath Prasad. We, we honor that from bed, even. <laughs> Jai Jagannath. <laughs> so Mahaprabhu wanted to try if, if Sarvabhama's Bhakti was beyond Karma, first layer of testing. So he came with Jagannath Prasad at five in the morning, four in the morning. So Sarvama was not bathing. And Sarvama took Jagannath Prasad and Jai Jagannath Mane. So Mahaprabhu said, okay, you passed the first test. <laughs> so then came the second one when Sarvama came and brought this famous Bhagavad verse. Tattenu kampan susamikshamano bunjane vatma kritambi pakam jitbhapurbid bidanan namaste jiveta jumukti pade sadaya bhak. So there are the last lines say, mukti pade. So the verse says that person who is really waiting for the mercy of Krishna, the person will tolerate that devotee all the, mis- the reaction to his previous mi- misdeeds with a big smile and engaging body, mind, words in the service of Bhagavan. He won't just tolerate, like, okay, I have to tolerate that. No, he will feel whatever is coming is nothing compared to what should be coming. But Krishna is so merciful that he has reduced my karmic reaction to this. And make it shobana karma, beautiful karma. So I will just celebrate that. <laughs> so the last line says, such a person becomes a proper, uh, how do you say, hair, hair, 
When you inherit something, hair to liberation, it may be understood. Mukti Pode. So Sarvabhoma came to Mahaprabhu and said, I don't like this word Mukti. I just scratched the Bhagavatam. <laughs> and he wrote Bhakti on. So Mahaprabhu said, What are you doing? You cannot just change the Bhagavatam. <laughs> I don't like Mukti. But Mahaprabhu was saying, Wow, your Bhakti is not only beyond karma, as he proved in the first test, but beyond jnana. Which is the whose whose goal is mukti? Say so you don't, you are so much in, in, in uninterested of why mukti that you don't even like to hear the word mukti. So Mahaprabhu explained the verse in the Bhagavad and actually mukti pade means bhakti. So he compared mukti actually is bhakti for the Bhagavad, ultimate, ultimate mukti is, is bhakti. And then as we know, Sarvabhama showed that he understood everything when. In, in devotional terms, when he recommended to Mahaprabhu, you, you go to South India, you meet Ramananda Roy. And you and him have something in common, as well, I shall say. Hmm? So let's go to Bishmanath Chakrabarti Thakur's commentary. We have some minutes? Yes. Yeah? Yes. It's not Friday night, so. <laughs> Bishmanath says, this verse shows the devotees' high position because of their lack of material desire. Though these types of liberation are achieved automatically, they do not desire them. These types of liberation are not destroyed in, by time, whereas other things, such as attaining Brahma Lok, are destroyed. So remember, the last line of the verse says that. If they are not interested in those things not destroyed by time, what to speak of those things that are actually destroyed by time? including Brahma Lok, in such a high position, a Brahma Bhumanaluka, destroyed by time. In, in that context is that our Acharyas have expressed this type of things, like Bhakti Nautakur, for example, he said, there are four types of anarthas. And he subdivided each one of them in four. He said, one of them is material desires. <laughs> and he subdivides that in four, and he says, the four subdivisions of material desires desire for gross sense enjoyment, desire for, desire for heavenly delight, here on earth, or in Swarga, desire for yogic perfection, and desire for mukti. He puts that in material desire. <laughs> Compared to the, to the glory of bhakti, desire for mukti is material, something like that. He makes that ecstatic point. <clears throat> Let's read what Jiva Goswami says in his Krama Sandarbha before reaching our close conclusion. Here Bhagavan shows the extreme sacrifice of the devotees. They're willing to renounce even liberation. Salokya, etc. are not perishable. Then what to speak of perishable happiness? I mean, we can never make this point enough. And, that's, and the chairs are hammering on this. Still we are after, sometimes we are greedy, crazy, thirsty, <laughs> after perishable things. So what to speak about not being interested in unperishable un goals like mukti. So we, we have to really like ruminate these ideas, <laughs> no? which are the implications, practical implications of that. <clears throat> and again, all this is very subtly and indirectly pointing ultimately to Vrindavan, to Braj, especially, I will say, to Gopibhav, in the sense of what? 
the gopis are do not care for their present life nor the future life in the sense of Krishna is playing the flute and the gopis are just riding after the flute and, and there are many verses in the scripture saying that they do not consider their present mat- what's the verse? matka oh, okay. matkana yeah no, no Bhagavatam. Of the 21. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. mm-hmm. They did not care for their future life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have them here, but I won't start to do the research now. Okay, no problem. So the verse, I mean, the translation says, the gopis do not care... For the present situation, the present reputation in society, what the, the, the rest will say about them. But also they do not care for the future lives. They are risking everything because in, social, in the social terms of the Lila, they are risking the present situation, running from their homes, leaving their so-called husbands to meet with Krishna. And they are risking the future life because if you are a lady, an adulterous wife, according to the Vedas, your future life will be ruined. You will get. You won't be a, in a very good position. So the point is, in those in the social dynamics of the lila, the gopis are risking both their present situation, the future lives, running after the sound of the flute, and without any warranty that they will be able to meet Krishna. I mean, they don't know if they will be able or not. And they always manage to do it, but <laughs> they don't know. There's no security. That's parakia about. Parakia means uncertainty, total risk. <laughs> so that enhances the condition of service so the point is indirectly this, this is happening here this verse is saying my devotees do not care for liberation which may be taken as future life what will happen the gopis here are throwing everything on the, out of the window just running after the, the flute and someone say but what about future life liberation next birth this life I don't care no? as, we went, as you know Krishna having the headache and they're giving the dust of their feet. Nara saying, but by putting the dust of your feet on Krishna's head, do you know what will be the result? Yes, eternal hell. So, Nara say, so, we don't care. <laughs> and Nara was like, my God. If that relieves a nanosecond of Krishna's headache, our eternal hell is justified. That's it, like the madness of the extreme. That's the, the, the proportion. On one side, a nanosecond of relief for Krishna. If What's the price for that? Eternal hell for you. I'm willing for to, to do so. Of course, the one who say that will never go to such a place. <laughs> the person who has that willingness is attaining the topmost heaven, if you will. <laughs> but their disposition, if, if that relieves my beloved for a nanosecond, I'm, will, I'm willing for that. Over and over again, this is crying the scriptures. The gopis or, or the gopas are willing to die millions of times for creating the union of Radha and Krishna. They are willing to throw their life to the fire millions of times. Of course, they are not literally doing that, but their disposition is such. I mean, if that will help to create the meeting of them, well, that's the best justification for my pran, <laughs> for my life here. So again, it sounds extreme, but... The gift is extreme, so that will create some so-called extreme reaction to that.
<laughs> as much as we get closer to real love, that won't sound so extreme. That's the point. If you don't have any love at all, and you find someone who is totally love, mad in love for God, you say, this person is totally crazy. But the other person will think about you the same. <laughs> so there are two extremes. But what's the, the fruit of that? No? You, you, you analyze each one and you will realize. No? So if you are, even you don't need to be mad in love. If you receive some slight glance, merciful glance, you will start to see those things. This, is very, this very famous bird from uh, Prabodhananda Saraswati about that. Look, he's quite static when expressing his feelings. <laughs> No? He's the famous one who says, who cares about Baraha and all these avatars, Mahaprabhu came, that's the most important thing. But in this verse he's saying, Kaivalyam Narakayati Tridashapur Akashapushpayati Durdantendriya Kalasarpapatalai Pratkatadam Strayati Vishwapurnam Sukayati Vidimahendradishtakitayati Yat we learned that one with Krishna Chaitanya some years back. <laughs> so that speaks about the, 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 by the result, the consequence of, res, of receiving this slightless, sidelong glance of Sriman Mahaprabhu. The Prabhupada Saraswati, that who receives such a slight, sidelong glance, for that person, and there comes the list of consequences. <laughs> Kaivalyam Narakayate, he says first. The, 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 the goal of Kaivalyam, which means, in this case, monistic liberation, is perceived as hell. Because again, there is no possibility of rasa. Akasha, Tridashapur, Akasha Pushpayate. The, the enjoyment in the heavenly planets is like a. a, a Akasha Pushpayate, which means a flower in the sky, which is something that does not exist, like a phantasmagoria. No? The pleasure of the demigods is like phantasmagoria. It's not a goal to attain. <laughs> and then he says, the, the senses, which generally are compared like to a snake that can bite you and give you some poison, are like two, one snake that, whose fangs has been broken. So they kind of like, really... Your senses cannot bite you anymore. Actually, they are facilitating you itself. Then Vishwapurna Sukayate, the whole world becomes full of joy. Before, Krishna would say what? The opposite. The world is temporary, miserable. But if you receive Mahaprabhu's mercy of Vishwapurna Sukayate. And they say, Bidi Mahendra this Chakiyate. Great personalities like Indra and so on. Are not, become no better than insects. <laughs> of course, it doesn't mean that you have ah oh, insects, insects. But the point is, their posts and all that is surrounding that. that sometimes you may like to be an Indra, who knows what. Mm. What's the difference between that and insects? The Bhagavatam makes the Bhagavad Gita makes that point. Brahma, Bhumanaloka, From the topmost planet, Brahma, to being an, an insect, basically there's no difference. He's saying the Gita. <laughs> so, and all that happens, but sounds like silent glance from Sriman Mahaprabhu. Sri Chaitanya Dev Ki Jai. So it's like silent glance is allowing. It's not our merit, again, because one minute before that glance, we were just drowning ourselves into those so called goals, <laughs> into the kite of Dharma. At least in theory, we know 
that's not the real thing. In practice, still maybe some, some how to say, learning curve. <laughs> but at least we have received the, the, the ideal, the prospect, and the connection with those who embody the prospect. So we are in safe hands. The only thing we don't have to do is just escape from, from those hands and jump from the ship that is taking us across the ocean of samsara. That would be the most stupid thing we could do. I mean, you are in the middle of the ocean and I, I'm not patient enough to wait to reach safe land. I will jump to, this, to the water in the middle of the ocean and I will swim back to my house uh, that is like 10,000 miles away. And I say, not the bad thing. Better you die in the ship in case. If you will die, better die. If you jump, there are sharks, there are crocodiles there. Kama, Kroda, Lobo, Mata, Mohammed. You want to jump? You try. Don't try. You have a good captain, the sheep, favorable winds, Shastra, Guru. You have to be good. How do you say? The one who works in the ship? Marine? No. How do you say? Okay. So that's our, our role. Not to jump from the sheep. So here Bhagavan keeps like schooling Durvasa. Remember, Durvasa is here. Not only us, but Durvasa is like here in such a... All these implications. I'm mentioning... My devotees do not care for mukti. Durbasa is a Brahmavadi. Brahmavadi means someone like after mukti. And after mukti, that the most inferior mukti for us. <laughs> so Durbasa is being really schooled on so many levels here. And my devotees are not interested in mukti. What to speak of something below mukti, which means bhukti, material enjoyment, related to the body. And Durbasa was just running after the. No, because the Sudarshan was threatening his body. So in another word, there was some bhukti in Durvasa in that sense. So he's re- receiving these two lessons here. You are caring so much about bhukti and mukti. My, my devotee, Amburish, which you think is a material sense enjoyer because he's a king, he doesn't care for those things that are your whole life. So Durvasa is here like having a very big lesson. <laughs> So as we mentioned, no? Bhagavan is inclined to protect Amburish and not Durbas, but that's not a defect in Bhagavan because as we mentioned, if he will protect Durbas, he has to neglect Amburish. And he cannot do so. Let me close with one quote, one more quote from Paramatma Sandarva. Also in Ucheta 93, Jiva Goswami is saying, Now, if some bear, bear, bear malice towards the devotees, then Bhagavan's own hostility towards such people is not a defect, because this is a part of what it means to favor his devotees. Rather, because such hostility toward those who oppose the Lord's devotees nourishes his affection for his devotee, his Bhakta Vatsalya, it is a unique manifestation of bliss that is a part of the Ladini potency. So when Bhagavan gets angry with those who attack his devotees, his Ladini Shakti increases. <laughs> Because of this hostility, Bhagavan awards such people oneness with Brahman, which is like a desert, 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 no? Desert, desert is something else. <laughs> In relation to the all-exceeding nectar of Bhakti Rasa, which at every step manifests varieties of condensed bliss. The attainment of oneness with Brahman is acutely opposed to the nectar of devotion to Bhagavan, and is granted only because it is the proper treatment for a person whose disease of enmity towards the devotees of God cannot be cured by anything else. 
So in other words, the point is if someone is bearing, mal bearing malice towards Bhagavan's devotees, so this, then Bhagavan will protect the devotees by chastising the, the wicked. But the anger of Bhagavan, if you will, so-called anger, is a manifestation of his intrinsic potency only. It's not Maya, he's not in, like, angry like we may be on, on, under the, the influence of Tamaguna, but he's under the influence of Ladini Shakti. He's increasing his, his inner bliss because he's protecting his devotee. And he says, Jiva Goswami says, <coughs> such offenders are granted Brahma Kaibalya, Brahma Sayuja. Because why? Because if they are envying, here speaking about grave cases that envy the devotee. So they cannot receive, they cannot, I mean, their envy is beyond any other cure, basically. That's the idea here. And that speaks how, how unbecoming envy is, basically. You cannot do too much about that. Now Rotam Dastakur will say, if someone is envious, the best way to serve that person is to take some distance from them. That's all. That's the best service you can render them. Take distance. If you get closer, they, your envy will appear again. <laughs> and of course, this is befitting. It says Bhagavan bestowing this goal because uh, he won't give a place to someone with envious nature. I mean, they don't want that. So he won't bestow something they do not want. But he will free them from envy by giving them mukti. By, but killing them, in some cases of some demons that he killed. But he's not giving them bhakti because, again, they do not want it. Mm -hmm. So that's the only suitable destination, according to Jiva Goswami, is Brahma Sayuja from some person. Mm -hmm. So the, the point is that Bhagavan's nature is such that whatever he does, it all, always culminates in, in the welfare of one person or the other, one level or another. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then Jiva Goswami concludes saying, we have some particular cases, and with this we finish, like Putana, who was really wicked, if you will, but he says she was dressed as a devotee. <laughs> so Bhagavan said, Oh, I like that. <laughs> Batsalya. <laughs> so that's an example, of course, of Kripa Siddhi. It means extraordinary mercy, which gives a particular perfection out of excessive mercy. I mean, but, but she wears as a devotee, so keep your. Sorry and dotty, that may help you, <laughs> if you will. Uh, for those who say devotional clothes, I, I want yeah, another topic. Okay. There is a place for devotional clothes. It's not only Indian culture, that's the point. <laughs> that can be also favorable for our bhajan and attract Bhagavan's mercy. Hmm? So, well, all these points, again, mentioned to emphasize Bhagavan is not partial. He's totally free from material bias. And he reciprocates to everyone according to the degree of each one's approach. Mm. He will be neutral with those who remain neutral to him. He will be extremely affectionate to those who are extremely affectionate to him. Mm. And so on. Especially he will be, that's the point of this series, affectionate with his devotees who pursue bhakti for bhakti's own sake. As we mentioned, bhaktiyas and jataya bhaktiya. This is a famous line in the Bhagavatam which means bhakti comes from bhakti and bhakti goes to bhakti, if you will. Bhakti is not looking for something else. Bhakti tends to produce further bhakti. Mm. Because bhakti is the ultimate goal. That what shows how bhakti is supreme. It's not going to something else because there is no something else. Bhakti is mm, the ultimate goal. Mm. So some ideas we wanted to share today. Sorry for the extension. Mm. Um, today if there are any questions we can spend some minutes if 
Man and Gopal agrees. Okay. <laughs> so are there any questions for the ones present here, for the one connected online? From today, from yesterday's lecture, we didn't have time for questions yesterday. Krishna now, right? Yes. Yeah. Is there a difference between moksha and mukti, or this is just the same, the same state but different, different terminology? Same state, different terminology. Yeah, actually they are synonymous. Moksha and mukti re re refer to the exact same idea, which is yeah, liberation, freedom. So it's the same. I mean, interchangeable, you say? So... Something else? I have one more. Yes. Um, this idea about uh, Putana was dressed as a, as a devotee. Mm -hmm. um, I never heard this before. Okay. Uh, I heard that you know because she, she was a woman, she came as a mother, approached Krishna as a mother. The this was the uh, catalyst for which Krishna was <coughs> her, you know, his, his mercy. Mm. So could you elaborate more on <coughs> where it comes, this concept of yeah, well, as we know, this, this example of Putana is like a really classical example of, of the merciful disposition of Krishna, which really in this case takes a very extraordinary form, because as, as, as you analyze the details of Putana's approach, is really the, the, the opposite to, to something that will attract truth, will, you think will attract mercy in the sense of... <laughs> uh, she was cheating from tip to toe. I mean, pre presenting herself as a mother and offering her breasts in a very like motherly, nourishing way, but actually having poison there. So it's like the really more, most wicked type of psychology. And the, how Krishna reacted to that is even more astounding because he gave her a position as a nurse in, in Golok, in some form of Vatsalya. So... Again, our Acharyas mentioned that's an example of Kripa Siddhi, which is one of the types of Siddha, of Siddhi you can attain, of perfection. Kripa Siddhi means perfection through mercy. Now, that's an important point. We also, another option is Sadhana Siddhi, which means perfection through practice. But of course, perfection through practice involves lots of mercy. <laughs> it's not that Okay, I will practice and I will attain perfection without mercy. No way. So when they speak of Kripa Siddhi, it means there is mercy, mercy, and mercy, and no practice. <laughs> that person not, not only did not practice, but did all the opposite to the practice. And instead, Bhagavan, if you will, whimsically, <laughs> but Vatsalya Rasa. That's like winning the lottery, if you will. It's not that that will happen. That's like exception to the rule. So the point is, we, we shouldn't like, like, <laughs> how to say, subscribe ourselves to the Kripa City Club. If you, <laughs> we shouldn't. Okay, I will try to win the lottery, and <clears throat> I will believe my life, hoping that Krishna someday may give me excessive mercy only for having a dhoti. It doesn't work like that. It's like that's a form of cheating. I mean, you are not to calculate. It's like if you say. I may win the lottery someday, so I will never work. Because if I win the lottery, I mean, that's all. 
but the point is you will never probably will win the lottery that's for sure 99.9999% you won't <laughs> especially if you think like that <laughs> so you should live as that won't as if that won't happen so you should practice the sadhana but expect but at the same time as my guru master will say your effort goes in the direction of obtaining mercy I mean, mercy means something that may come without effort, but generally, the general course of that, that we should take that one, is it will come, I mean, it will be appreciated, if you will, as much as I apply myself in the practice. So, in the case of Putan, again, of course, Uddhava makes his famous verse, Kambanda Yalum Saranambraji Mahobakiyam Sanakala Kutam, so on. Who will surrender to someone else by Krishna who is so excessively merciful? So it say yes that w- the reasons why Krishna is a child in, in the context of his lila desire to bestow put on a this excessive mercy. I mean that was totally out of proportion. Was, as you mentioned, no, maybe okay. He's dressing. He had uh, approached me as a mother. He was dressed as a Vaishnavi. Hmm. So that was nice. Krishna said, "I take that." <laughs> So, so again, that, that shows the psychology of an extremely merciful person. What's, what's the psychology of an extremely merciful person? That I want to give you mercy, so I will find some reason to give you mercy. Even though you are giving me a thousand reasons not to give you that, <laughs> if I am excessively merciful, I will find one reason in the midst of those thousand to give you that mercy. Hmm? So that's like the... Of course, we shouldn't like... Rest on that. Like, okay, you know, Krishna is so merciful that, uh, of course, at the same time we are doing our best, and at the same time we know, still I'm not giving too many reasons to. <laughs> I mean, we cannot deserve the mercy because that's that goes against the very nature of mercy. If you say I, I'm trying to deserve Krishna's mercy, I mean that that doesn't won't happen because if not, that's that's no longer mercy. If you deserve that, it's, it's justice. So that's the whole point. Important to understand. I mean. You're, you should be very careful when you are doing the best of your efforts. It's not to deserve mercy. It's just to understand, for me to appreciate the mercy that has come, I need to give myself fully. As much as I do that, I will be able to take advantage of mercy and, and invoke further mercy. But it will be always undeserved. That's the point. So again, the case of Putana and Krishna, that's a very extreme disposition of mercy that Krishna just in the midst of all the worst most wicked reasons he's finding oh but she's such a nice sari <laughs> beautiful tilak I mean, why not see that and fully concentrate everything there <laughs> something like that Krishna is saying and he approached me as a mother and someone may say no but she yes but on top of no no he didn't have a year for that that far, no. no no but and on one level, we could say, I mean, this sounds, sounds extreme, but we can extend that same idea to our own selves, basically. And, and, and to Sri Guru and the selves coming to our lives. They are coming to us by mercy, and someone may come and say to the sadhus, but they have this and this and this and this and this. And they will say, yeah, 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 but, but this also. Muhammad, very nice deal. Like. No, but he has all... Very nice tila. <laughs> Give an example. No? Very nice, nice, nice chatter. <laughs> Whatever. 
And you may say, but that's not all. You can see, you should see everything, but that's not mercy. Again, if you start to try to put everything in the scale and calculate everything in the, this, you are already in the realm of justice. And you will be a loser there. Always. <laughs> Don't expect to be a winner in transcendence taking the, the path of justice. I mean, justice means karma. Karma means not transcendence. <laughs> so, so I, it's important for us to understand how the mercy psychology works. Sila Siamrath will say that. If Krishna Guru is giving some extremely undeserving mercy to someone, which is what mercy is, <laughs> and if you go and say, Gurudev, why did you give that mercy to him? <laughs> what did he do for deserving that? Nothing. That's why he's <laughs> receiving that. I mean, that's mercy. And as much as you demand some reason for that, you yourself have be- are becoming... Uh, devoid of the chance of you yourself receiving mercy because you are thinking in terms of deserving that. And exact, it's exactly this, the opposite. The less you deserve that, if you are merciful and you see someone that really does not deserve mercy, your heart will melt with mercy. Because that's mercy. Mercy will act, in, especially in the stage of non-deserving, basically. Of course, again, this is not a calculated thing. Okay, great. So I will become wicked and I will deserve less and less and less and so much, so much mercy will come to me. Not working like in a cheating <laughs> propensity. But if you are really fallen, not in a calculated way, but really fallen, degraded, the saintly person will be melting because of your case. <laughs> and it's difficult to, to really go through this idea of mercy because we are so much entangled into the framework of justice and deserving and personal meritocracy and that's why we are losing we are losers on a daily basis still yeah <laughs> and we do not feel that much mercy coming because still we don't want that much mercy we demand certain justice yet <laughs> we don't have yet the full capacity of coexisting with only mercy because as I say the other day mercy means you don't deserve that and you will never deserve that. Are you, are you ready to coexist at every single moment with something you will never deserve? That's too much for the ego. <laughs> ego wants to feel, I deserve this. It's my, my own merit. I did this. But to live forever in the realm of undeserved mercy means you have to be totally humble. Because whatever is coming to you, it's above your head. You never deserve that. No matter what you do, you don't deserve that. But it's coming as a gift. You need that. It's a gift. It's coming. You don't deserve that. <laughs> so this requires certain... Another way of thinking. So, so I would say that this Lila with Putana has to do a lot with that. It's an extreme example. But if we are honest and humble and sincere with our own self, we'll say, well, I'm an extreme example. <laughs> Extremely fallen and extreme mercy came to me. I'm not so far from Putana. Strictly, I mean, we, we should reach that conclusion naturally. It's not a, oh, Buddhana, so weak. Hmm? Why am I? <laughs> I'm weak. I'm cheating. I, I, I'm, uh, and the mercy is still coming. So, I mean, the first ray of mercy in this lifetime came, and I was not doing anything for, for that. I mean, if I analyze my, my life before getting in touch with the boat, then I don't, I'm in the Buddhana Sampadaya. Yeah. <laughs> I want the boat to pity on me, mercy, and 
and suddenly I was dancing in the kitchen and I said, what am I doing here? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> okay, it seems not, I, may, I stay here. Okay. But the day before I was doing some nonsense and the next day it was like, What's going on? <laughs> Who took me here? What's you know, I didn't choose to. What's, <laughs> so, my free will was not going in that direction, but the free will of the Vaishnav met my free will, <laughs> and I ended up doing <laughs> So, something. Hope that helped. Okay, so something else? Um, I was thinking how... Um, you know, perspective um, affects how we see the world, right? So, I was just thinking about the situation I came up with my wife and I, and um, she, like, she's doing, let's say she's doing some activity, she's doing some service, she's doing some work, and the result is a result from that work and she sees it like I'm, I, I just did all this work and I got this result but I'm thinking I'm praying for this result and the result came so it's because I prayed you know I, I'm praying and I'm praying for this result and Krishna's making it happen so so my perspective is yeah you have to just pray and Krishna will make it happen but her, her idea may be, wow, I used to just do the thing and then it will happen. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like, um, like, you know, it, for, for both, like, I could see on one side it's, it's not uh, empowering and on the other side it's also not empowering. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? It's I think so. Yeah, I would say that when we speak about the result, the result of whatever action, actually the result of any given action we are performing, you may, I don't know, I mean, you didn't give it a specific example of one result, but let's say, I don't know, any result. But the real results, and Krishna, even is, Krishna when speaking in the Gita about uh, Nishkam Karma Yoga, what to speak of Uttam Bhakti, but Nishkam Karma Yoga, he's saying the, the result of the action is not the result as it is, as the money, the cows, the whatever, but it's the consciousness that, come, that will come as a fruit of approaching the action in a particular way, whatever it be, detachment, enlightenment. So, <clears throat> my point is, <clears throat> for us in bhakti, what's the, the result, the fruit of the action we're performing? It's not that something in per- particularly has to happen externally. I mean, we may have some idea, I don't know, if my Guru Maharaj said, Maharaj, I want you to, I don't know, paint the house, whatever. <laughs> so I'll try to paint the house. <laughs> But maybe I won't make it because there was some earthquake or I don't know what. Or I, my arm got cut and I remain with one less arm. Whatever the example. But it doesn't mean that the result is not there. The real result in that, as a bhakta, is 
I want to increase my bhakti. I want to please my guru. I want to uh, get closer. So no matter what external form it takes, there was some ideal result in mind. No? Do that, do this. But if it took some other form, it doesn't mean that the real fruit is not there. Do you follow? So my point is, regarding your example, someone may say, okay, some one person did that and thought, okay, I, I make my effort, this happened. And the other person said, no, no, pray to Krishna, that happens. But actually, the happen, what hap- should be happening is not the result that maybe the two of them are thinking is the result. The result is for us, the fruit for us is I'm getting closer to Bhagavan, I'm getting further insight. So, and that won't happen by only my effort. So, I will just hammer in that direction. <laughs> because, yeah. and of course, even if you want to take it further, if you think, okay, if you are an atheist, let's say, and you don't think there is God, there is God's grace, and whatever I do is by my own personal merit, yeah. You want to water down the situation to that, okay, but the point is you are still dependent on so many things. To perform any single action, Krishna describes in the Gita, so many factors have to be there. It's not only you. That's a really egoic idea. I'm doing it all. When you're depending on light and air and water and this and agents and agencies that are not in your control. I mean, you are not, you cannot provide them, them to yourself. You need them to come to you. So you are dependent on so many. That's why the Vedic, like, cosmovision tries to at least begin saying, okay, become aware of the, of the gods in nature and be grateful to what they provide you. So you start to realize on some level, I'm a dependent unit. I'm not alone in this. It's, whatever I'm doing is accompanied by so many forces there. So I, I, do, I won't be so arrogant to say, I did it all. I did this harmonium. This is my piece of art. You cannot create the wood. You cannot create the pain. You, you, you are provided. You are doing something, of course. You have wheel, <laughs> some instrument in between. But So, even if you want to think in terms, I did it myself, no need to pray to God. Yeah, but you may feel the no need to pray, but still you should acknowledge. You need so many elements in place for that to happen so and of course with that consciousness evolves more and more you realize God is behind all this phenomenon and and, and that's he should be prayed for and and when you pray to him that's interesting because of course on some level someone think okay now pray to God and let's say that person may think okay the same result is happening an atheist that was happening sometimes an atheist will say I'm doing this thing, I don't need God, I'm doing and it's working. And you are praying to God for the same thing, it's working for you also, but I get the same result without God. <laughs> but of course, the person will say, if that person is really connected, will say, actually the result for me is not the result in itself, you think. It's through my prayer to, uh, to God, I'm getting closer to him, blah, blah, blah. The other thing is the byproduct of my prayer, you know, basically, if you will. And of course, in a higher level, the devotee is totally surrendered to God and will say, I, will, I want to do whatever you want and you may have some idea and God is sending as a result the opposite, <laughs> but you won't feel, oh, God must not be pleased with me. You're just 
I mean, adapting yourself hmm? in, the, in Darwinian terms, like the survival of the fittest. <laughs> so, for us, even that's a more important point, because we say, you pray to God and He will make it happen. You don't know, you pray to God and who knows what will be the result. <laughs> because, of course, there are different levels of prayer. One level of prayer is like, you still are in control. God, give me this, give me that, and give me that. Those things, nothing outside of that list, please, give me. Okay, that's the level of surrender. There are your, your, your stuff. Be happy with your toys for a while. <laughs> but when you evolve, you say, give me whatever you consider best for me in my particular case. And that may be a thunderbolt. <laughs> okay, you need thunderbolt in your head now. <laughs> Thank you so much. And you have to be grateful and recognize the mercy there. So that's the result you are attached. And again, from the outer view, you say, oh, your, your prayer to God is taking you to ruin. And I don't need God and I obtain everything I have. But it's, it's what it seems. <laughs> but externally, but internally, something else is happening. So. But there are levels, again, according to the level of each one. Okay. An hour and 45 minutes. Sorry so much. Shila Gurudev ki jai. Shriman Mahaprabhu ki jai. Shri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai. Ramtarat Shrimad Bhagavatam ki jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrindh ki jai. Gaur Pramanda ki jai.